Welcome to the RVA Returners Podcast, your weekly source for all things Final Fantasy TCG. But um, yeah, Colin, we, 8 a.m. is our uh, our normal kind of thing here on the way we just the morning we do the cast is because I I have to work on Sundays, which isn't my favorite thing to do, and <sighs> I kind of want to quit. I'm not gonna lie. That is a bummer. It's a super bummer, super bummer. But Colin, and I was say, you know what isn't a bummer? What's a what's Be not a bummer? Here for the next episode of the RVA Returners podcast, boys, we're oh back. God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you should be. You should be. Guys, I am your host, Chris Adams. With me, as always, Adam Lane. And as you heard, we've got a super special guest on with us today. Uh, no stranger to the cast, a, a longtime friend of the podcast. You know, um, you know, Colin, we, I think we really first met you back in Boston last year. And I just, oh. I already said your name. I've spoiled Colin, it for everybody. Colin was at ARG. He was, really? Yeah. I was, I was at ARG. Well, I'll be damned. But I didn't. I didn't actually meet you guys there. Well, that, that soothing sound you're listening to, that's our first North American qualified Worlds player, Colin Rupert. Colin, say hi to everybody today. Hey, guys. What's going on? Longtime fan. <laughs> Longtime listener, first-time caller. Yep, first-time caller. <laughs> well, excellent, man. We're actually glad to have you on. I know... Um, it's been a very, very busy week for you. I know you were just on the uh, Crystal Tower cast earlier this week. I'm sure you, I, I see you're still, you know, you're still still doing the things you normally do, Colin. I know you've got a tournament today that you're going to. So the grind doesn't stop, does it? No, no, not for me. I uh, I just, I, I love the game that I play, so I'm just passionate about it. So I want to just put, put the time in and, you know, do my due diligence for the North America team. Geez, you see that? that that's a work ethic you can set your watch to. Love that. And you know, speaking of that, we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about today. Some some really really big pieces of news, you know, coming out. We've got our uh, North American Octagon Open Top Eight. Um, you know, there was an event over in Japan that's going on now. Um, you know, some cards were spoiled. The first, you know, we, we, there's so much. Colin, I know you're like me, right? Adam, I know you are like me as well. That you 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 just want somewhere you can go. Where you can get all this information, just kind of in, just kind of one stop shop, but you know, kind of like the Costco of information. Get your ID cards out, you know, because you can't. It, it's you know, you, you just can't walk into this place. Colin, do you have any idea of where, where, where what we're talking about here? Uh, the Cheers Bar. Oh, where everybody God. knows your name. No, God, you're you're so close. You're so close. <laughs> it's the news. So first piece of news this week, uh, the, the promo mystery has now been solved. The, the elusive uh, 028 promo has now been revealed, and it uh, comes with a very neat uh, Square Enix store-exclusive package. Adam, why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about this thing? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's like a it's like an art book for the card game. It's, it's weird that it took this long. I don't know. Like I'm trying to figure out like why they chose this to be like promo. I don't know. Uh, but it, but it is, you know. I guess like now we finally know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and appa- I guess apparently they had this in chapters too. Like people were telling me, uh, I wasn't really mm-hmm. aware. Uh, but it's basically just it, it's actually a playable like sideways promo, which the other ones aren't. Uh, so that's kind of weird. But it's just a three CP like Light Warrior of Light that gets buffed by other category anniversary cards. Mm-hmm. And and apparently, like I said, in chapters they had several of these, so you could play them, but. I think they were all light cards, so 
have fun with that. If someone like heckles your materia or like archers your your cosmos, you probably just lose. Uh, so, so what you're saying is this promo will be playable in 2024. It probably won't even be playable then. I mean, you could play it, but I I just don't know why. In a competitive environment, I don't know why you would. But it's cool looking. Uh, it's like I think the old like Amano style art on it, which is obviously beautiful but you also get like nine of these cards or something like that you get a bunch of different languages is that right or do you just get one no no you get uh i think it's eight different languages it's either eight or seven it's one of those two but uh yeah you get one and i think they're all foil and it's one from each language uh so people might be trading their other languages to get like a play set of the language that they use the game in it's possible i'll probably just keep the one copy of each i'm not gonna ever play it it's a cool shelf piece right you know, Colin, what do you think about a little product like this? Because obviously, like, the book has, you know, it has the list of, like, the world, like, the first, like, world qualified players, full art of Opus 1 through 4. What do you think of something like this, man? Oh, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. It's, like, the first of its kind, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. we haven't actually seen, like, an actual uh, package with, like, all of the uh, cards from each land in it. You always had to, like, you know, go out and find people that were in the area that had the uh, particular language released. And then you'd have to go and trade with them either through some like third party or, you know, online through the marketplace or whatever. But um, I think this is a great way to uh, not only, you know, uh, get people that are interested in just the lore of Final Fantasy. Like, uh, you know, they always play the games, don't really know much about the TCG. Oh, all of a sudden, Serenix has a product to promote it. Now you got people that are just kind of curious and, you know, it starts that. It starts that domino effect, you know, train rolling, like, oh, let's try to go out to some stores and see if they have this thing and um, maybe build a community there and, you know, hopefully create some kind of um, positive uh, outlook for not just newer players, but for the people that collect and are currently playing the game. Uh, I I think it's also great because, you know, they have uh, now they have a really neat uh, package to really add to their collections. They can, you know use some of these cards to trade for other stuff they want. Um, so I, I think it's a, a great way to not only promote the game to uh, the newer players, but also for the longtime fans, you know, they have access to something that, you know, they can just put on their shelves and collect as memorabilia. Absolutely. And it's a, it's very attractively priced too. Again, it's a Square Enix store exclusive. And I want to say af- after shipping, because shipping is pretty nutty on the Square Enix site, I want to say it ends up being like 45 bucks after shipping. Yeah, it's like right yeah. around fifty, I think. Yeah, that's like the price of all their like art booky type stuff. You might be able to. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but sometimes their art books get on Amazon at some point, and they, they get a little mm-hmm. bit cheaper. If this is anything like the Final Fantasy fourteen like lore books, which I would probably make it more akin to, those are going to be hard to find. So, mm-hmm. I would if you want it, I'd pre order it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's worth the price. Yeah, yeah, definitely worth having, and um. So speaking of, speaking of worth having, you know, we spoke uh, last week or the week before about the LQ trophies, those beautiful uh, Decidia like circle, you know, artwork. So we got our first announcement. Uh, LQ Wave One is here, and there there a lot of a lot of stores that were expected to get them got them. There were some glaring omissions at <laughs> Richmond, but there's also two more waves, I believe. I want to say they're doing three waves of LQs this season. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, what what that's was said. What I yeah. Um, and it, that's a good thing. That means we're probably going to get a fair amount more than we got last year, which is good. Uh, yeah, I heard, I heard the Richmond thing is actually more on us than them. So, (laughs) 
Oh, uh, well, that's very interesting. It wouldn't, you know, I'll never put anything past anybody. Yeah. You know, Jersey's got one down in Yorktown, so we've got one still right in our own backyard, which is great because they, they've done great work down there and they definitely deserve getting, the, you know, getting some more like official recognition. Um, let's see, uh, Game Theory down in North Carolina, which we've gone to many times. They run a great operation down there. They've got one in the first wave. And uh, Colin, I believe a, a little store up in Pennsylvania got one as well, Gamers Heaven. Yeah, the uh, the store I belong to and um, got got our LQ for the first wave, so we were really really happy about that. Absolutely, I'll actually uh, I'll actually be judging that event. Um, oh, awesome! Andrew Good is uh, stepping aside, and uh, he is uh, busy that weekend mm-hmm. um, and won't be available. So he asked me to do it. I um, and I I think it's uh, good for me to do it anyway. Like I'm not going to be participating or anything. Um, you know, I want to give everybody a fair chance to, you know, make it out to nationals. Not to say I, I would win that event. I'm just saying, like, it would just be really kind of, uh, you know, a little bit sucky to go on and, and win the event and then not have one more person be available to go to nationals from, you know, right. everybody who traveled or wants to participate in that specific LQ. So I'm not just doing it for, like, my store, you know, uh, specifically, but for other players that, or people that want to travel and go up uh, at our store, uh, you know, they, they have a fair chance as well. So, right. Sounds like you'd rather judge than gatekeep, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I don't do that sort of thing. I don't really believe in gatekeeping. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, I even last year when we were still in the qualifier season for nationals, um, I've had this discussion many, many times with a lot of different people. Like, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that you have to tough it out and work towards it. And mm-hmm. if you play an opponent that's already qualified and you can't beat them, then I'm of the opinion that, you know, you, you can't be there uh, and do well. Exactly. So, exactly. That makes perfect sense. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to look forward to there. You know, good luck to everybody going out to those. I know we'll be going to play in some of those. You know, we got three again. We got three really in our own backyard. You know, we love making the drive up to see you guys in Pennsylvania. It's a really easy drive, too. So we love that uh, game theory. We love going down there. That's just a great store with a great group of guys. And then that's Jersey. A, that's the North Carolina one, right? Yeah, that's, Hunter, yeah, that's Hunter's store. store yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they do. They do good work down there. They run a really, really tight ship. And then obviously Jersey's is really, really coming into their own. It's becoming one of my favorite places to go play cards here in Virginia as well. So, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, obviously as those kind of come and go, we'll start getting wave two and wave three announcements. So, you know, we'll keep our you know eyes and ears peeled on those. Um, speaking of events, you know, another another great event is transpiring. There's um, you know we've now made it down to the top eight of the North American Octagon Open. Um, I've got I've got that list of names right here, and we'll just kind of work our way from top seed to the eighth seed. In sitting in top seed, going into Swiss, we've got Mr. Curtis Kang, newest member of the RVA Returners. Uh, second seed, we've got Mohammed Zaim, uh, newest member of uh, the Cards of Evil East team, also Virginia representative. Third uh, third seed, we've got the Ranch Ma- uh, Master Hunter Nance himself. Uh, fourth seed, we've got the Jersey Boy. We got John Schreiner, who was just on the cast last week. Um, sixth place, we have a uh, or sorry, fifth seed, we have Chris Neal. Um, did the, uh, the old Cinderella man himself from last year doing the LQ two Nats, you know, which uh, to the world's team. Uh, sixth uh, seed, we have uh, Colin Rupert. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, Colin Rupert there, you are in the sixth seed. And then uh, seventh seed, we have uh, Angel Moray. I think that's how you say it, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm actually not familiar with him at all, and I super, super apologize, Angel. You, you're clearly a, a top-notch player. You know, you're you know, you're know, up here in elite company. And then in uh, eighth seed, we have uh, Alex, Mr. Alex Ziegenhurt, you know, squeaking into top eight. I, I believe he was the only X2 on this list. I think so, yeah. I think everybody else is X1. I could, yeah, be, so I could be wrong with him. Congrats to that. Or no, no, Angel, Angel, Angel's X2. Uh, is he? Okay, yeah, okay. So two X2s. He's, uh, He's actually from the Boston uh, crew. Um, is he so okay? Had a, a lot of opportunities come down south for like some tournaments, but he's a very, very good player. Awesome, awesome. That's good to know, man. Like I said, I, I feel terrible, but uh, you know, if he he's clearly a good player. You know, given that this field was full of killers. And um, Adam, I know you, you. I know you. You barely missed the cut there for top eight. Do you know what your final placing was? Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. It wasn't ninth. I think. I think oh, if I win, I'm in contention to be one of the X twos because my two losses are. Going into that round, my two losses were John and Hunter. Okay, yeah, wow, okay. Uh, so my two lo- my my losses were really good. Um, I think I ended up falling somewhere in the neighborhood of like seven, uh, no, like probably like eighteen, I think, or something like. I was oh. like the second or third highest X three. Oh, gotcha. Uh, I think like Zach. I think Zach ended up being the highest X three. Mm-hmm. And then I was like either right behind him or one behind that next one. So I think. If I could beat Wayne, and Wayne when Wayne ended up being sixteenth exactly, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, but my deck bricked really, really hard. I, yeah, it was bad, <laughs> like really bad. Well, other than you know la- last round brickings, guys. Overall, how how has this experience been? I know it's been it, it, it was a free tournament with some really dope prizing. Um, Adam, I know um I know we kind of talked to you about it uh you know a couple weeks ago, um. But as it's progressing, it's kind of coming down the home stretch here, guys. How has it been for you? Like, would would you would you do this again as a free tournament? Would you rather see it be like a paid tournament with maybe like a bigger cut, like a top sixteen, or um, you know, just just kind of give me some thoughts, guys. Kind of spitball it here for me. I I I mean, I enjoyed it for what it's worth. Like, I, I you know, I, I like online tournaments, but mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was a little um, a little tedious, but. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be helped because, like, it was, you know, it was spread out over the course of many rounds. And, um, you know, not everybody, you know, can organize and play on the same days. So, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for other players, the return of results over many, many days was, uh, you know, I, I think time consuming for that aspect of it. But um, overall, like, I had a positive experience. Uh, I got to play a lot of different players, a lot of different decks. Um I, I, I like the fact that you were able to change the decks during Swiss rounds and not play mm-hmm. the same thing like every single round. Like that was actually kind of cool to me because like I think you know you don't necessarily have to lock in a deck for Swiss because like you know as we all know Swiss probably doesn't matter as much as like the top cut if you mm-hmm. make it. So like being able to like um, you know do something free online and be able to like test different builds whether or not you make it or not is irrelevant like if you have the ability to like you know um just try out different things that you enjoy playing or want to see do well in a competitive environment and want to take to your next tournament like that that to me is more invaluable uh knowledge than you know trying to just jam and make top cut and get all these sweet prizes so um yeah that that was kind of like the cool thing for me um adam what do you want to say yeah, uh, I agree. I would definitely do it again. Uh, as for the like the top eight, top sixteen thing, like I understand there was like ninety people, but like I mean, I, I the card games I used to play, like it was always a top eight cut no matter what. So oh, yeah. 
Um, and that doesn't bother me. I know that bothered some people. Like, I, I knew what I had to do to get in, and ev I think everybody else knew, you know, so once you got that third loss, like, you were you were done. You could pack it up. And even that second loss, like, if you got it early, you were probably done, too. Um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. I played, I think, like, almost every person I played I do, or at least, or knew me, um, which was kind of cool. Uh, and yeah, like, switching the decks up, I got to play, like, three or four different decks, which was a lot of fun. Got to... I tried Final Fantasy VII one time, got smashed by Hunter, and went back to what I was playing before. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. A lot of people were on Mono Water. A lot of people were on a deck very similar to what Colin won. Like, as soon as uh, Tampa was over, I felt like every round I played was Mono Water. After that, and not that oh, I blame not that I blame them. So <laughs> the deck is really I strong. Have, so <laughs> I have I have funny input about that. So uh, I actually got back when I got back from Tampa. Um, you know, of course the you know, my real life stuff was like, you know, just getting back on point and getting back to the routine and everything. But uh, it was just a madhouse of messages from people like, you know, what do you, what do you think about this build of mono water? What do you think about this build of mono water? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't even answer all these messages. After. I still have messages in my inbox that I, I, I haven't gotten to because I just haven't had the time to revise lists and give opinions on things. But um it, it, yeah, the, the deck is deck is insanely strong if you know how to pilot it correctly. And um, it, I, I didn't actually play going back to the Octagon tournament. I didn't actually play Mono Water the entire time. Um, I played uh, two or three rounds with uh, Earth Wind, and then the other four rounds were with Mono Water because um, I, I I didn't want to just overload the entire tournament with the same deck I just had gotten back in one with. You know, I wanted to try out. Uh, another build that I've been toying with and, and um, revising. So uh, that was kind of like my tournament round, Swiss round experience. Now um, for top eight, are you locked? Whatever deck you choose for top eight, is that you're locked into that for the remainder of top eight? Yep, they lock or, in you, today. You have to submit a deck list, right? Yeah, they lock in yes. today. Okay, so you have to submit it early then. I, yeah, I actually, uh, I have to go, well, I'm going to the tournament today, but uh, I got to, get the list together online and then i'm going to send it over to um i guess whoever's running it lawrence or nicolo okay nice, so, nice. Uh, i well, actually crunched crunch the numbers today and while i'm actually playing <laughs> and see what i want to do for my final deck list but oh nice um, nice <clears throat> well definitely good luck to you there man um you know i know uh like i said you got a, a top eight here full of really really solid players so it, it's it, it's like really this is anyone anyone's event so, if, yeah. So you're going to be playing, playing against Hunter first, if if uh, if my bracket uh, my bracket math serves me correct, right? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we actually talked last night uh, for a few minutes um, about that. Hmm, the Tampa rematch. It sounds like. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe I, I like Hunter. Uh, I'm. I'll be uh, happy to uh, play him for my first round and cut. I could probably bet you won't see Death Machine. <laughs> Yeah, if I was a bet man, he will not be playing Death Machine. Yeah, I, I bet I bet my career on that one. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Well, like I said, Colin, good luck to you, man. You know, it, it's just anybody's match, and I can't wait to see who comes out on top of this one. Um, next, um, you know, speaking of events, you know, there's a, a event going on in Japan uh, right now. Um, obviously, they're like what, like 22 hours ahead of us, or something like that, or something absurd, because it started streaming last night at like. 10 30 our time yeah it's a three-day tournament but yeah. okay 
and I, I know I had fully intended on staying up last night to watch it. Uh, lights out. So, so right when it was getting ready to start, I just rolled my head, hit the pillow, and then next thing I know, it's six forty-five. So I missed that. But we'll talk a little bit about that. Something really neat come out of that. You know, an, another another supplemental product here, another two-player starter set with some more legendary reprints and a couple of really solid starter exclusive cards. Um, I know they've, we, we can see what the, uh, it's, um, it's a hero, another like kind of heroes versus villain style it looks like, but it's a, uh, looks like it has a final fantasy three kind of focus. Cause it's cloud of darkness and onion Knight. Yep. So, um, before we get into like the reprints that are in here, Adam, I know you've got them pulled up. Let's, let's kind of, cause Colin hasn't seen them yet. Let's go ahead and read what both of these cards do. Sure. So, so there's a, they're both three CP seven K's. Cloud of Darkness is dark, and Onion Knight is light. Uh, so, Cloud of Darkness, uh, what her text is, at the end of your turn, remove the top card of your deck from the game. For each card removed by Cloud of Darkness, Cloud of Darkness gains 1,000 power. Uh, when Cloud of Darkness leaves the field, you can choose one card removed by Cloud of Darkness and put it in your hand, and the rest go into your break zone. So, the Onion Knight is, uh, when he deals damage to your opponent, you can search your deck for one card named Onion Knight and add it to your hand. And then he has two S abilities. Uh, for... Just S, he gains a thousand power, haste, first strike, and brave until in the turn. And then for his other S, it's S and Dull. Uh, choose a four, deal a damage equal to Onion Knight's power. I think both of these cards are actually really solid. Um, I, I love I love the Cloud of Darkness and the fact that it kind of gives you another zone to you know. Because right now are these cards like visible to both players? That kind yeah, of thing. Remove from game zone is always visible. Okay, so that's fine. I mean, that's still information, but it's still like a card. Like if your opponent sees like a bunch of gas that's been removed from the game by this card, it becomes something they have to deal with. So, I, th- I think that card's really, really neat. And obviously, she just gets bigger off of that. And I think the Onion Knight's really, really cool. Um, obviously, there were those decks where, like, the Wind Lightning decks, where you were using the legendary Onion Knight, which you know, is a good segue to. I believe he's in the set as well. Being able to do that, like attack with it, get all these keywords, then you know, s ability kill something. Like I think it's, I think the, I think the cards are really really neat. Um, the Onion Knight feels like a really dope build around card. Uh, Colin, what do you think of these cards? My thoughts on the first card, the Cloud of Darkness. Um, oh. It definitely is very very strong. Uh, three CP seven K is you know your natural. Um, you know power you want to see on a, on a three CP card, mm-hmm. but uh, the replacement effect you gain off of it, the longer it just lingers in play, it's mm-hmm. like like one turn you could potentially have like three extra cards on top of your normal draw. So like I I could see this card being very very uh, powerful. Um, and it's for, searchable off Camelot. Yeah, and and that's the other thing too. It, it is it is searchable off Camelot. But at that point at that point like I guess we're really only. Uh, gaining the the best value off of it uh maybe off the star Sybil, like in the camelot to get it or just like mm-hmm. naturally naturally playing it but I, I think later in the game it actually is very kind of weak mm-hmm. in the respect that like it's not actually initially getting you value when you, you and your opponent are kind of like trading five for five on backups um mm-hmm. so there is that one aspect of the card that uh worries me for like the late game but for the early mid game, yeah, I I definitely agree. Like slamming this down, like turn two or three is uh, just fantastic. Nice. Um, so I, I could see that being a potential card, you know. Uh, and, and we also don't know, you know, what's going to be in the future sets to really kind of go along with this. So um, mm-hmm. I'll be excited to see like how that uh, turn of events plays out. And then um, 
I guess going into Onion Knight, the late three CP seven K. Again, uh, standard you know power for a three CP uh, Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't like the aspect of um, running multiple Onion Knights in a deck just to fuel this card because I feel like this card is kind of like a more build around ish type mm-hmm. uh, Ford. But I do like the fact that you can actually search. Uh, you know, either a wind or a lightning uh, onion knight and add it to your hand when it attacks. So this is like, um, you know, super great for like wind lightning, obviously. Like if you're able to, you know, just run like all the onion knights, uh, that, that archetype is uh, potentially, you know, going to get powerful and make the deck a lot better. Um, I do like, I do like that uh, the specials are just really cheap though. Um mm-hmm. Being able to have a special that's the cheapest cost to activate it is probably where you want to be mm-hmm. if you're playing a deck with those type of forwards. Because, like, when you start getting into forwards that, like, start having uh, special abilities that you have to overpay for, then you start, you know, waiting around turns if you don't have one. And then by the time you activate it, it might not be relevant to the board. So, like, there's always those really awkward situations where you're just like, oh, I have this really cool, you know, uh, light forward uh, with, like, these really awesome light uh, special abilities, but, like, I can't use them, so therefore it doesn't matter. Now I'm just playing this vanilla 3K or 3CP 7K forward. You know, it, it, it becomes a, a little bit awkward. And that, that's always been the issue with the special abilities, I think, in the competitive world. Like, if you go to tournaments, you know, you'll see very, very limited amounts of special abilities between, like, all the deck lists for, like, I feel like the last, like, year. Um, so, uh, th- there's pros and cons to, to both, as there are always with uh, light and dark cards, but I, I do think Cloud of Darkness actually kind of trumps the Onion Knight one. For sure. Opinion. Adam, what do you think? So, I think the Onion Knight is going to be nutty and title, though. Oh, yeah. Um, like, if you're thinking about that format... But yeah, I, I agree pretty much with everything that Colin said. I think I think the Claw of Darkness is probably going to see more standard play, um, and I'm interested to see like how strong it really is. Because the thing is, like the last few sets, like we've got a big increase in like the power of light and dark cards. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested to see like where these fall. It's hard for me to say, but I do think Claw of Darkness is the clear like winner out of these two. Uh, Onion Knight, like you said, is more of a build around card, but I'm not sure he's the juice is worth the squeeze there. Oh, that's a that's a good saying on this podcast. Uh, yep, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, it's a cool build around card. Like, I wouldn't be mad if someone wanted to make a deck like that and try to make it work. But uh, yeah. I'm not seeing it yet. And and it, this I, is Opus Ten, so like these yeah. these are two sets away. So there's more cards that we need to see too. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's that's just the surface of this two player set. Um, we're also getting some really really gnarly reprints here. Um, I know just the ones that were mentioned, uh, 7CP Phoenix, yep. uh, Opus 5 Diabolos, uh, Opus 4 Legendary Lightning, uh, more uh, commonly known as Chicken Lightning, and Opus 5 Legendary Cecil. Yeah, and the Opus 4 Onion Knight Legend as well. Yes, and the Opus 4 Onion Knight, the, the wind one. Yep. And the, for, the, this, this could be a big assumption, but we've seen the Phoenix looks like it's full art. Is it safe to assume that the rest of these are going to be full art? My assumption, again, this is an assumption, is that they're all non-foil full arts. I'll tell you what, 
get, getting a full art Cecil really, really revs my engine. I'm going to tell you that right now. I know you like them Earth cards, Chris. Mm-hmm. Especially that Cecil. That Cecil is one of my favorite cards in the game. Um, so these are obviously really big reprints. Now, granted, yes, there's going to be a whole nother set coming out before we see these. So this is super, super early. And who knows? This could end up being subject to change for all we know. What do you guys think about seeing these? Because a couple of these are some pretty these are some pretty high dollar cards in here. Um, do you think? And I've kind of said this before, kind of in passing, that I I, I really feel like if you're looking at non foils, you really just need to not try to try to work the secondary market in this game. And that's because I feel like I feel like that's just like they. There's, there's a lot less regard for the secondary market in this game than there is for something, say, like Magic, where like the secondary market kind of drives the game, essentially. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, to me, it's been clear for a while, right? Like, if, if you really want to... If your goal in this game is to, like, drive the secondary market, you do it in foils and pro exclusive promos and stuff like that. Non-foils are kind of like whatever the flavor happens to be, like Veritas right now, right? Like, you could sell a Veritas right now for a good amount of money. But mm -hmm. but if Veritas like like the meta becomes not Veritas at some point, like he's obviously gonna drop. And if he gets reprinted, he's obviously gonna drop even more, like if that ever happens. Yep. And and you know those things. And I think they're trying to kinda make that better by making these full arts because that way maybe there's still value in the non full art non foil mm -hmm. versions. Mm -hmm. Um because I will say, like, if you've ever felt like the new promos, right? They're pretty great looking, but have you ever felt the difference between a foil and a non foil version? It's like mm -hmm. You can feel the difference, and so I'm not sure if that quality difference is going to be here as well. Um, it's possible, and so maybe that might help it keep value. But if you look at VVs, right? Like, what are VVs now? Fifteen cents. Yeah. Like, uh, VV tank real hard, and I think Genesis's are like a couple bucks. Mm -hmm. So, but their foils are still worth money. Like, uh, I think foil VV is still somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to twelve, and foil Genesis is still like around the twenty mark. So. Those are holding value because the starter sets don't have foils in them. The promos will hold value, at least certain promos, the playable ones, um, and and the exclusive ones, obviously, because they're either exclusive or very playable. But even then, like the non-foil promos aren't worth really much at all. Like you can easily get those for a couple bucks. The foil promos now you're looking at like twenty five, thirty dollars. Mm -hmm. So, but it, the thing is, like. It makes the game more accessible, in my opinion. And if we're going to never have a rotation, we're going to need stuff like this. Because if not, new players, are gonna, it's going to be a nightmare for them. The thing, the, Here's the issue, though, is that how accessible is the starter deck going to be? Because the Heroes and Villains starter is like really hard to find. So, I mean, that's just my two cents. No, those are all very, very relevant takes. Colin, Colin what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I, in terms... See, it's it's hard because like I'm um, I'm talking about in terms of like uh, getting new players involved with the game and you know players that you know don't have access to some of these cards and like want to get uh, into the competitive environment more or just want to go out and and, and get these uh, cards that they haven't had for a really long time to like finish up their decks that they want to take. Um, I think it's great for the health of the game. Um, mm -hmm. You want to get more people involved, and this is how you do it. Uh, I would agree with Adam. No, like I, I, I do wish the starters were more accessible across uh, the board in terms of availability for like uh, stores to sell them at, uh, you know, reasonable prices. So that is one thing I would like to see change um, for the future. But uh, not, I pretty much agree with everything that 
Adam said about, um, you know, car reprints uh, in terms of value. You know, it it, it does suck for the people that um, kind of had to work for their non-foils that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, were around for Opus 5 and later. Um, you know, they, they spent all this money on these cards and now they're just going to get reprinted in these starter decks. You know, it, it, it's uh, a little unfortunate that that's going to happen in terms of the value of the card. But um, I will say that uh, in terms of uh, collecting, um, as long as the foils are around and non-foils are going to be printed, you know, your foils are safe. So if anybody invested heavily into the foils or Opus 5, um, you know, I, I, I still think the investment aspect of uh, a player, you know, you, you, ha- you still have those value mm-hmm. uh, cards available and, and those prices available to you for, you know, trading. They might go down a little bit, but and not so much, uh, you know, in terms of trade value. You know, it's more just like monetary value. So if you're a collector, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a downer. But um, for the most part, I, I still think your, your your investment is is safe and it's still worth it. You know, I mean, you, you think about when the, these starter decks are going to be printed. You've had Diabolos and Cecil and Phoenix for like now over well over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you've gotten your money. 10 times over with these cards back, you know, in terms of playability, if you were, you know, playing a lot during the season. So, um, I, you know, I, I do think it's a positive thing. I think we do need it for the health of the game and the, um, the span of, uh, you know, as long as people are going to still be playing these cards by Opus 10 release, you know, they're, they're going to have these available to them. So that's, that's a positive thing in my opinion. No, no, absolutely. I think you guys just hit the nail right on the head. Um, not really much more to add to that without sounding redundant. Um, but I agree with you. I think it is good for the health of the game. I love it when a game, when the price of cards, especially if you're a, if you're late to the party, isn't driven by the secondary market. Again, using Magic as a perfect example, you know, good luck trying to get into Modern without shelling out a thousand dollars because you have to pay, you know. You know, $50 a piece for Noble Hierarchs if you want to play humans or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll say one more thing, too. Like, so I think the issue Magic has, and this is outside looking in a little bit, right, is that precedent was never set, right? So Correct. They, if they reprint Magic cards now, there's going to be a ton of backlash. This oh, is exactly. This is a set precedent now. Like, we know it's happened twice, you know, so, like, we know these things are going to continue to happen. So, like... Don't put all your like if you're trying if your eggs are in the basket of reselling non-foil legendaries that are staples. Mm-hmm. Just be wary that might like they might become full arts or something in a starter deck as a non-foil. And yep, that's de- literally what the, the point I was getting ready to make. He nailed it right on the head. Yeah. Nailed it right. And on I, the head. I would rather that precedent be set now than wait you know years and years and years and then everybody gets mad at it. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Also, uh, be aware if you're buying as well. Um, mm-hmm. People that are aggressively buying non-foils, you know, it's still a thing too. It's a two-way street. Yep, mm-hmm. that's true. That is very, very true. So that was all, all attached to this. Uh, I, I forget the city they were in, but I guess they—I just seen it called the Japan Cup. It's like Nagota, I think, or something. Yeah, like that. Nagoya, Nagoya, yeah. Nagoya. And I know they've had a really awesome uh, Final Fantasy 15 playmat, more awesome Final Fantasy 15 sleeves that I would love to get my hands on as well. But I want to say all of day one was draft? No. So day one was actually a couple days. So you missed day one. Okay. Yeah, day one yeah, was, I, I think... I'm, 
yeah. so behind the loop on this thing. I think day one was double deck constructed, actually, because I think I saw Alex had two decks. I could be wrong, because I didn't get to watch much of it either, but I know there was a day one, and then day mm-hmm. two was draft. So it was like a split Swiss, I think. So okay. I, th- I, th- I want to say, well, kind of like how they do here, I want to say like they made a cut, and then that cut got to play draft, and then they cut to 12 after that, and I don't know the exact cuts. So. Right, and I know I know Alex Hancock is like the seventh seed, and Tim is um, the ninth seed, I believe. And I know the way, at least the, all I know is the top. There's a top twelve cut, and the top four just move right into top eight. Yeah, they get a buy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I know it's not cross pod play like it's inner pod. The draft was inner pod play, which is the way it should be. Yeah. Um. And I think that I think that's really cool that you know you're starting to see events now that have like a lot more dedicated draft, um, especially you, you know. I know like when this whole thing first kind of came up, it was very like out of nowhere, very it felt very seat of the pants. But it seems like these last couple, or at least, especially at least this set in general, and Opus Seven to an extent, while Opus Seven like pre-release rules were very very miserable. It actually ends up being a really, really good proper limited set in the long run. Whereas Opus 8, I think, is a fantastic limited set. Yes, I agree. The bursts can be kind of below. I mean, when we did when we were down in Tampa doing that lobby draft, you hit an Odin on burst or like a Chaos Walker on burst, you just kind of lose on the spot. You have to... It, force, it, it forces you to play a certain way. I mean, Medine and Ark, too. So, like, you have, oh, to, yeah. you have to be careful... Like, it forces you to play kind of slow. If you try to play fast and you get burned by those things, you're just oh, going to yeah. lose on the spot. But if you play like like a gentleman's game style, mm-hmm. uh, they won't hurt as bad. It still hurts, but yeah. it won't hurt as bad. And it can still lose you a game for sure. Yeah, this 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 drafts uh, or at least this limited set feels very haymakery in a sense, if that makes sense. Um, and if you have some of those like haymaker pieces of removal, you just your opponent just turns into all shoulders, man. They just kind of shrug, and it's like, well, your turn, please. Um, but it's, it's good to see. I, I'm actually going to go back and make sure I watch all the stuff from this event because, like I said, it's it's at a really weird time, and with my work schedule, it's like I kind of have to catch it after the fact. But, you know, I'll keep my, you know, my you know my eyes tuned to all the Facebook groups to kind of see what's up, you know, and good luck to everybody playing over there. I can't wait to see what kind of spicy stuff comes out of this event. Um, but, you know, like – Really, the, the the point about the draft was kind of the segue into our main topic. And, you know, I know recently with um, um I want to say is is Portland draft or is Arizona no. the first one that's going to have draft? The I want to say Kansas City's the first one that has draft because it's Kansas City, Richmond, Arizona. Okay, Arizona. Okay, so it goes Portland, Toronto. Kansas City. Kansas City, Richmond, Arizona. Yeah, yeah and the last three have drafts. Okay. So, and you're starting to see a lot more articles on this, and you know, a great one to pull up. You know, um, I know Meta Potion just had a um, an article that was done by Kyle McGinty about you know really just you know really you know mastering draft and really knowing what to look for. Um, and I think it's something that now you know, especially for people who are going to be coming to these these later Crystal Cups, you know, the Kansas Cities, the Richmond, you know, these are going to be big ones. And I think really knowing how to, and these are still going to be Opus Eight, mind you. I want to say, um, I want to say Arizona is going to be Opus Nine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Arizona is the only one that's Opus Nine draft. Yeah. 
So that I mean that's going to be a whole other can of worms. But for the ones here that are going to be you know Opus Eight, I think really understanding you know what you're looking at and knowing how to draft is going to be such. That I think it's an important skill set to have anyway. And I'm not talking like casual in a hotel lobby, you know, pounding back the worst alcohol known to man. In, in the middle of the night drafting, I'm talking like legit. You're sitting <laughs> down at a tournament table with, you know, where stakes are pretty high. You know, you're talking, there's a, there's a world spot here on the line. So, you know, sending the right signals, making the right picks, you know, you know, you know, understanding the archetypes that are going to be available to you in draft. Like this is stuff that you really, really, really need to know. And I think having these resources now will, will help you, be able to practice for these crystal cups coming up in less than two months mind you because what um kansas city is what uh, two june, months from now beginning of june less than two yeah, months so like, okay also, yeah. uh, so, to touch on another uh point if you don't mind me oh go ahead uh i was just gonna say uh like for the people that uh win the spots at the crystal cups uh for the world spot you know those teammates will be invaluable to me because I'm not as familiar with draft as um, in this game as I am with, you know, games like Magic. Um, I mean, I, not necessarily speaking, like I won't be able to adapt to the format. Well, um, I'll certainly have, uh, you know, the practice leading up to this Crystal Cups. But uh, those teammates will be, you know, very invaluable to me to really show me the way in terms of like how to properly pick uh, things and, and what to look out for and, and those types of things that those that do well in draft, obviously. So um, I'll be excited to see, you know, what they make of it, you know, once we get the, the full team together for Worlds. So, Yeah, and, like, I don't have any inside track on this or anything, but I would bet hard cash that Worlds will have something to do with draft. Like, there's no way it doesn't. Oh, yeah, it, mm-hmm. 100%. So it's definitely going to be a skill set. I think that whoever qualifies, yourself included, because you're already there, will mm-hmm. we'll need to, like, have for sure. So. Now, I guess, Mal, here's my question. And I just thought of this. What are they going to do for, like, the language barrier? Are they going to all draft with the same language cards? Well, I mean, that exists even in Constructed, right? You got Hunter Hunter doesn't know what red cards do. I'm sure at Worlds he had to double-check that stuff. So, like... I'm sure they'll have, like, Oracle (laughs) text on standby, you know what I mean? Yeah, so I would imagine since it's in America, since it's in L.A., it'll probably be English cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... So the foreign players will probably have to have like some kind of double checking thing because yeah, with draft you're going to read a lot more cards because you're going to it's stuff you're not going to you don't see as often. So from exactly. what I remember back to all the way to the first worlds, I think they actually had the um, they had folders uh, available for uh, in different languages for the people that didn't quite have a knowledge of all the cards in the set or they needed to like you know double check and re- reread something in mm-hmm. their language. So I'm, I'm like, I'm fairly certain they're going to have something like that, either electronic or physical in a binder where like people like from uh, that qualify for worlds from like, you know, Japan or um, uh, Singapore. If anybody from, you know, uh, Asia is going, um, they're going to have something available for them to be able to, you know, double check or reread a card that they would normally be familiar with. So I, I'm pretty sure that you're going to have something there. Absolutely. And it makes sense, right? So when we're looking at draft, um, and I think one of the best things, you know, we've kind of been doing recently, I know, Adam, you've been, you know, we've been doing a lot of, you know, pack one, pick ones. And I know you've been getting the packs and kind of switching things around to really like make it like some really unique and tough choices to um, 
like I know the one you posted a couple weeks ago was one that it generated a lot of conversation. And B, there was like there was like three legitimate like right answers. It just really depended on you know what direction you were trying to take, and you know it, it, there, there's so many different layers to what you're looking to do. So, guys, where I'm going with that is we're all we're at, we're at a pot of eight, the three of us. We're sitting next to each other, or Adam, you're across the table. Colin, you're to my, you're to my right. We're going. We're opening our first pack. You're. We're passing to the left. Mm-hmm. What? What are you? Obviously, this is super subjective. We don't know what cards we're looking at here. We're, we're talking signals now. Like this is this is where I've got to like look at a pack, kind of understand what, what what's in these packs, and kind of start looking at what's missing. You know, obviously it's only one card, so it could just be the rare that's gone, which could be anything, or it could be an uncommon that's gone. Like, I don't know, like, when we start getting, and this becomes more and more important as you're getting deeper into the packs and into the uh, into the rotation here. What is it you look for when you crack that first pack and you see cards that, like, you see a lot of good stuff? Uh, what, is it, what do you pick, and what are you, like, trying, and what are you hoping to tell me? Or hoping to not tell me, I guess, as as you ship the pack my way. Well, I guess the uh, the most efficient like uh, scenario to happen would be like, okay, there's one card in this pack that's like cheap, efficient. It's either a removal or like a really good forward um, in terms of like you know its power level, and it's the only card in the pack in that color. So like obviously that like, that's probably going to be the pick because mm-hmm. the goal would. It, with that pick would be like, hey, we're going to cut off this color completely for, um, you know, you picking uh, mm-hmm. through that pack. And, like, let's say it's just a wing card. Like, let's say uh, we go back to that one pack that you guys posted, the one with the uh, the, desk, the death gaze in it, and, mm-hmm. like, it had a whole bunch of, like, other playable cards. Like, um, I'm still sincerely uh, certain I would probably still take the death gaze, mm-hmm. um, mainly because, yes, it was the only wing card in a pack, but also, like, it was cheap, efficient removal. Like Death Gaze is like a great card for draft. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't actually had the opportunity to draft Opus Eight, but I uh, last night I was watching the um, uh, the, the Japanese stream when they were uh, playing the first, very first round, and the guy literally windmill slammed like two Death Gazes in a row, and like one from like an impossible spot, and that just shows you the power level of that card. So like, in that scenario, yeah, I'm gonna take the cheap efficient removal and the only card in that cp element from that pack because i don't want my opponents to see that color for the rest of the draft and he uh he now, didn't he didn't play two death gates on the field at the same time did he no no no, no. okay it was <laughs> like um the one got removed okay was the same death gaze it just got bounced gotcha gotcha that makes sense i just so, want to make sure <laughs> yeah, yeah no he actually had another copy in his hand though so he was actually playing two but i think that the first copy that he played got bounced and like both players were like at a really high damage count, so like it actually just came down a second time. Um, so, but it, it uh, but for other scenarios where like your your pack is has like two really good lightning cards or two really good fire cards or two good, really good water cards, like um, that scenario gets a lot more difficult because now you can't necessarily cut people off from those colors, but you also still have to keep in mind like what is your color identity per se in the game for draft like 
do you enjoy playing lightning cards more than you know water cards or do you enjoy playing wind cards more than fire cards you know it's it's, it's a lot of it has to do with um i think you know what you in, enjoy playing and and what you think is the best uh you know cp in that particular pack and what element is the best uh best in that pack so like i, I think a lot of it comes down to uh what element you know you see being very powerful for the pack that you have and what card is the best card um you know that you would want to see coming to you in that element for future packs so a lot of it has to do with you know cutting things off um optimizing your picks efficiently and um just enjoying the element that you're playing for the draft at that particular time absolutely now adam you we got you on the other side of the table here you're opening your first pack. What are you prioritizing in that first pack? I mean, it's it's kind of the same, right? You you can know <clears throat> like your power cards going into the set, but you're still you're still drafting against eight other or seven other people, mm-hmm. and so you have to like know based on what they're passing you, what you're passing to other people, like the signals that you're sending, like you said, um, and like Colin said, like if if it's like one very strong card and that's the only in that element. Um, you're not. It's really hard for your opponent, or you're not your opponent, but like you know what I'm saying, like the guy to your left, to figure out like what you just took, and then it's going to be harder for other people around you to try to like hate screw you or anything like that because it's harder for them to define where you are until later. I mean, obviously, much later you can make pretty pretty sound calls as to like where the people around you are in what. Um, I do think if you're playing against seven other people that are very knowledgeable about the power like the cards in the set themselves um you can make a call based on like what people are going to draft more commonly like for instance in uh in this set in opus uh eight um i think fire and ice are actually very strong um and so you have to be careful if you get into fire i think a lot of people are going to be trying to get into fire i know that's weird to hear coming from like people that play a lot of like standard constructed but uh, fire stuff in this set is just really efficient. Uh, Brynhildr is really dumb. Uh, Aroha, really stupid. And those are a common and a rare. So, like, you're going to see those a lot. Uh, even Archangel is a rare as well. Like, those are going to be cards you're going to see often. And if you're not in fire or you allow, like, one or two people at the pod to be in fire, you're gonna, there's a possibility that you're going to see, like, several Archangels hit the table. Uh, and that's a card that you have to deal with like immediately. Um, so, and then when you talk about cross plot, it gets even worse. Which I, I'm kind of hoping that they kind of stray away from that. But like, cro- like you can't. It's harder for you to control because like if if someone over on table X like lets that stuff pass, and you know you're on table Y, and then you have to play a guy for table X who has five archangels. Like you know that sucks. So. Yeah, it kind of takes that skill set out of the draft. Yeah, it it makes it less. I wouldn't say it completely takes it out because you're still, like, the people at your table are still affected. But, but yeah, like, if if you just have a table of, like, more inexperienced people, then, you know, that that could help someone that's experienced that just happens to be put there if they're lucky enough, you know. So there's a lot of factors. And I think if you keep it inside the pod, it makes the factors less. So... Sure. So now let's talk about like pieces of removal, right? Because I think having good spot removal or AOE removal is pretty important when you're talking about a limited format. What are some of the key pieces of removal that you hope to see as you're drafting? 
I mean, Brent Hilder for me is one of the better ones for sure. Uh, I mean, you have like your Bursey stuff if you want to go that route, but like that's not really efficient. Like Odin's not efficient. Mm-hmm. You don't want to actually spend seven on it. But if it I fli- agree. but if it flips off the top, like it's amazing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Bert Hilder, though, Bert Hilder also has that same symbol at the top right, um, mm-hmm. and it's going to kill most stuff that people are trying to draft. Like, look at the cards I just said, right? I mean, obviously, an attacking Archangel is going to live, but, like, Aroha's dead. Um, mm-hmm. and you have other cards. Mostly, like, a lot of 3CP7Ks you're going to see, and even, like, the power for, like, 4CPs, if they have, like, really strong abilities, will be under curve as well. Um and that's why, like, but it, but then you're also going to have big cards. Like, um, Omaru is really good. It's like a 3CP 9K, even though he has, like, that kind of tax effect. Um, yeah. You got cards like Lion, actually. Uh, I didn't Lion's realize great. I didn't realize how strong that card was until I started drafting this set more. That card's insane. Like, you just play it for 3CP, like, on, on her, when your board's empty, and then you just, if they can't answer it, you just keep drawing cards, um, which is pretty nutty. And she's an 8K, so that's kind of hard to deal with. Uh, I actually tested, I've been testing Lion and constructed a mono water mm-hmm. uh, for a, co- a couple days now, and I actually enjoy playing playing it over Ash. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's actually pretty interesting. I, I, I believe it. I think yeah, I think she's I, actually pretty strong. It, she's, I, from the experiences I've had with her, uh, she's very good at, like, early and mid-game, mid but, like, her late-game uh, ability is rather weak. I think I'd still rather have Ash in that situation, but um, sorry, I, I'm, I was digressing. I just thought it was interesting that you oh. said Lion is good. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, yeah, that says a lot, right? If they're good in standard, they're probably, most of the time, unless they're some type of build-around card. Like, if they're just innately good, they're going to be good in draft, too. And I think Lion is just innately good when you play her on the board. Same with Aroha. Like, she just reads really well. The reason she doesn't get played in standard is because she's a red card. So, like, right. you know, and then, uh, I mean, I know we were kind of going on a tangent because I would talk about removal, but, like, I was saying, like, you want removal that hits those cards. And and Death Gaze is one that Colin mentioned earlier that, like, it hits everything for three. Like, that's really good. I mean, yeah, there's a drawback, right? Because it's a monster, it stays on the board. You have to worry about cards that blow you out, like Amaranth. And and cards that even can bump, like, you have to be expecting that, like, like Matoya and stuff like that. Even though you're yeah. able to replay your Death Gaze, like, that one turn could swing the game. Like, that they're able to get their forward back and reactivate their ETB or whatever. And absolutely. Um, and obviously, you know, one of the things you talked about, a lot of the removal being very bursty. Um, and that, that's the one thing you kind of can't control, right? Like, if you go up against that guy who, you know, just drafted all of the the seven drop Odins and you hit two of them on burst, you there's a good chance you probably just lose that game due to no faults of your own. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, don't, if you don't play efficiently, like, if you just try to, like, push forwards out on the board and they have one of those things, which isn't that unlikely, you're going to lose, so. Absolutely. Colin, any more thoughts on removal? Um, I, I I definitely place Odin at like the the least valuable um, mm-hmm. parts of removal, but like I definitely agree. Like Brynhildr is uh, very efficient, um, so I, that would be a that would be a high pick like fire ex for me. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I pretty much agree with uh, Adam. If you're going to look at removal, you want to look at like three CP, four CP removal slots, but three CP. I, I certainly think take over the four CP uh, mm-hmm. um, cost in, in any deck that you're going to be playing. So, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, now let's talk about um, now when you, you know one of the things you you're always looking at outside of removal are just big doofy forwards, big just bomb ass cards. What are some of like the limited bombs you're, you're hoping to get in terms of bombs? Uh, 
I certainly think um, I, I definitely like Aroha a lot in Fire. Um, mm-hmm. But Bomb is very like skewed, right? Because we're not just talking about like legends. We're talking about you know like heroes and rares and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I certainly think Lion is a bomb in my opinion in the water. Um, it's a cost efficient forward and in, mm-hmm. in, in the color it's in. Um, you know, it starts out at an AK, so it's already hard and trumps a lot of three CP removal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wins the board overall, and you get the bonus of like you, you know you get to like you know. Uh, draw a card and discard a card, you know, and fix your hand. So, like, cards like that, in my opinion, are bombs. But, you know, obviously, you know, you, you're going to get, like, legends, like, Duncan is a bomb. You know, obviously, we're going to pick that card and fire if we're, you know, in fire. But, like, you know, th- there are, I can certainly see times when, like, we're not picking bombs, too. Like, we're not always going to have the bomb in our colors, you know, going to the late part of the draft. Mm-hmm. And people will sometimes you'll be in that situation where you're like you're looking at your pack and it still has like a legend in it, and it's like, well, what is this card doing here? And like, how is this going to fit in my deck? Can I splash for it? Mm-hmm. If I'm like playing, you know, Water Lightning, for example, and all of a sudden I see like a, you know, Dark Fina, you know, how do I incorporate that into my deck to a point where you know it's going to be resourceful to me? Mm-hmm. So it's just that it's just that that idea of bombs is very skewed at some point in the draft because like you're 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 still going to have the the chance of uh you know maybe something isn't going to be taking because simply because like you're 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 the players to the left or right of you just aren't in those colors mm-hmm. it might be like third pack pick two or something you know so like i can certainly see uh situations where that would happen so it's kind of interesting to reevaluate cards as you're going later into the draft because, you know, a bomb in, in your colors might just be, like, a, a common that you needed to fill in a slot that you wanted to fill in. So, like, I mean, bomb is very, like, vague at that point. Sure. It becomes it becomes very subjective depending on where you're at in the draft. Right. Right, absolutely. Adam, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, there's the obvious ones. Like, you're not passing a Veritas, right? Like... That's that's never ever 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 gonna happen, <laughs> like like it, it, unless you're crazy. I don't know because like you can play that card for whatever CP you want, and it's always probably gonna kill something. And there's not really many ways that I could think of to really get rid of his exit trigger in draft. I guess death gaze, but like he's gonna come back, and that's probably worse for you. Um, I think like and like you said, like later there's gonna be bombs that are subjective, right? Like, uh, I think people um. Understand that wind is actually pretty good in this draft as well too. You got things like Norstalin and stuff like that. But I think, and people are starting to re- realize this too, like especially like in our area where we've been drafting a little. But like Selkie, Selkie's actually pretty strong in draft. Uh, it's multi-unit, so you could like have more than one of them out. Sometimes you'll mill two cards that are like your opponent really needed. Uh, sometimes you draw a card when it dies, like, and it's an 8K, which uh, makes it a little bit harder to deal with. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, cards like that that you look at at face value and it doesn't seem very good, but in draft, like it's really good. Um, so I think I think people need to kind of figure that out and, and learn that facet. Absolutely, and that kind of leads to like I guess really the the, the point I want to wrap up with um, synergies. Let's what you know most most sets that have a limited uh, limited format in mind have kind of internal working synergies. Um, one of the perfect examples in this set are the, the fifteen guys, right? Which you can very easily draft all of them. 
Yeah, you gotta get a little lucky because there are some there are some H's in there, right? Like Gladio and Noctis. But but yeah, I mean, people probably aren't gonna take them as like their first picks, right? So like, you could get those are H's that could easily get past you. But you do have to get a little lucky in the facet that like they have to appear. I guess is what I'm saying. Right. But there there are like, and then of course you've got like the Sabin, the Edgar. These are all printed at like common. So these are the, and then of course obviously Duncan. If that that's kind of the payoff there, if you're able to you know if you're able to draft that with a couple copies of the common Sabin, you're you you you're, seems like you might be in good shape there. Um, so talk to me about some of the synergies, kind of the internal synergies. Uh, you kind of talked to one a little bit there with Norstal and Wall Trail, some of these um, you know Crystal Chronicles backups. What other kind of synergies? do you want to look look for not necessarily just like category packages but other synergies you can find within this within this uh limited uh environment i mean i think you hit on a big one uh edgar is a pretty big one i think uh like you have things like umaro like celis like Mm -hmm. like the small saban who's really good too on his Mm -hmm. own right even without duncan uh and with with edgar you're looking at him swinging and dealing 4k i've had Mm -hmm. situations plenty of times where i'm playing where i'm in fire and I have a Saban and a Rain, the you know, like not the Legend Rain, and mm. I'm, I'm party attacking and dealing 7k to something. That's removal, yeah. you know. Like so, yeah. I mean, I think there are certain synergies you can draft to. The earlier you get into those synergies, the better, because mm-hmm. you can start planning around those things. But sometimes you have those accidental synergies. I think Edgar, because there's so many Final Fantasy six cards in general, like Edgar and Setzer are probably like if you take them. You're probably going to get something out of them. Like you can draft easily, draft to them. Same with Norstalin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a, there's enough Crystal Chronicles backups in the the set to where that card's not going to be like. There's no way they can take all your options away from you. Um, exactly. And if you get Waltrill, like you're you're sitting pretty. If you get Sherlota, you're you're doing well. Those those are the two biggest ones that stand out to me for sure. I mean, there there are obviously like some dud synergies, like the mono synergy stuff, like Ifrit, and like those are kind of weak. I think. Um, uh, but like Ramu's not terrible and Shiva's not terrible. Those are those are okay. Colin, what are your thoughts, man? So what kind of what kind of synergies are you looking for when you draft Opus Eight? Just a small synergy I was gonna point out was just like um Realm and uh Strago mm-hmm. um in water. Uh just because, you know, you know me, I like water cards, but uh <laughs> I I I don't know how it's very small, subtle thing, but I, I do think it's a synergy that is a possibility easily in, in, in those colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's something I'm, I'm probably looking for. I'm looking for, um, you know, like Adam was saying, like the whole Edgar uh, Final Fantasy VI backups that interact with the forwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in that sense, if I'm if I'm going for that strategy, and I'm looking for those, I'm obviously going to be looking out for. Uh, probably the six forwards and prioritize those more over the backups because the backups are probably going to you know have the opportunity to like get around and pass around to different people mm-hmm. um so that, that that is probably my prioritization for those cards i don't know how you feel about that but uh the forwards i i certainly think overtake the the backup line in draft if i were to guess um but like i said i i haven't had the opportunity to really draft opusate a lot um so a lot of it's going to be, you know, a little new to me. But I, I think that that is something that, you know, I would argue uh, in terms of just as a general rule for picking. Um, 
always prioritize like the forwards over the backups, but uh, I, I could be wrong. It, it, this might be something that I might have to do a little bit of research on. No, no, I think I think you're spot on. I think the uh, like if the you want to get to five backups if you can, so you're playing efficiently. But if right. they if they happen to do something after the fact or like when they enter, like that's great too. But your forwards are obviously going to get you home, like cause, because you can't pick what backups you want. You know where where you want them. You kind of like two CP backups are always going to be good for the element that you want, just because like you get them down. You don't really care what they do, even if you play them for right. no value. And like and uh, another synergy I'd be looking out for uh, the Wind Warrior Light. Like obviously, if I'm going to first pick that card out of a pack, you know my goal for that draft would be just draft as many standard units as humanly possible in the future packs that I see to optimize that card's ability. Yeah, and, uh, Selkie's a big one. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah, if you get your hands on Selkie and the Warrior of Light, man, you're in great shape. Um, from what I hear, standing units are like really, really good in the draft environment, especially in wind. So um, I'm definitely going to be looking out for something like that. Absolutely. So yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack here, and like I said, you know, we could definitely dive into more, but you know, we are crunched for time. And Colin, you're actually on your way now. You know, we hear we hear the car opening and closing. You're on your way to a tournament. Uh, just kind of real quick, tell us what what tournament you got going on today, man, and we'll wrap up. Oh, um, so I'm headed up to All Among Collectibles uh, up in New Jersey with uh, John mm-hmm. uh, Schreiner and all those guys. Uh, I haven't been to one in like literally a year, mm-hmm. and uh, they've been asking me to come up, so I, I thought this was like the perfect day to have the opportunity to do so, especially when it's like my day off and I didn't really have much planned. So nice. So it's the, is this the uh, the Zodiac tournament? Yeah, yeah. So they have oh, like uh, for those of you uh, not familiar with it, um, they have something called the Zodiac Trials up there, and uh, they usually post uh, quite frequently on the the PA page, but uh, I guess it's like the PA New Jersey Delaware page. Um, but, uh, yeah, they have a really cool thing up there where uh, they have one every month. And then at the end of the season, um, they invite all the winners from the previous, like, cups to compete in, like, the final tournament for the year. Um, so you actually have to, you know, it gives you incentive to actually try to win one of these things. Mm-hmm. And also it gives you a qualification for, like, uh, you know, all the winners to come back and, like, you know, have one final tournament to determine the winner of the year. Absolutely. Sounds very similar to what we're doing because obviously, Colin, as a as a, a previous Soldier Series champion, you'll be invited back for the Soldier Series finals as well. Oh yeah, I like totally blanked on that. I, I uh, that was like way way back uh, last year. I think that happened. So yeah, I'll be definitely excited for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget our top four match when I played a Nidhog into your uh, four CPs a day, and I was like, I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> I felt so bad for you when that happened. Dude, I was so I was like, I got him, I got him. I'm a fucking idiot. Well, all I can do, fair, all I can do is shrug my shoulders. I was like, well, that's what I get for not reading the card. And in your defense, I mean, the set was relatively uh, new when it came out, mm-hmm. so we were just playing these cards for like the first time, mm-hmm. pretty much for the competitive season. So, I mean, it, things happen. I, I mean, I'm no stranger to mistakes myself, man. Like. I, I, if I can't count how many mistakes I've made against uh, players or done in tournaments and just been like, oh, my God, like, that was awful. literally awful. <laughs> so oh, I, was... I, I, have, I have had those, like, stomach-sinking feelings uh, just go through me as well. So don't feel bad. It happens to everybody. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
And uh, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up on that, Adam. I know, you know, Colin said you're still, you know, you're still relatively new to the draft environment. Adam, you're no slouch or no stranger when it comes to limited. If you were to give a piece of advice to people wanting to pick up and practice limited, what would that be? Uh, I mean, just understand what all the cards in the set do. It's like, it's pretty simple. Um, and then know, like, if you understand value in tournament play, you'll understand value in limited. So, like, just to know the basic stuff, like, What's on curve? Uh, is this ability good? Like, just know how to evaluate cards. It's it's, and it's not like you have to be the best evaluator. It, some stuff's pretty obvious. So, also uh, going along with that, um, like I, I think as a newer drafter, um, I, I think one of the things that I'm going to do is actually you know uh, prioritize the set rules for myself about like what I'm going to do in these situations, like. Uh, setting signals or, or picking a card that I think, you know, generally is good, I, I think isn't enough at a draft level. Like, you have to be able to understand, like, um, you know, when the when to optimize your picks in terms of cutting off your the people next to you in colors or getting signals from your opponents and be like, okay, well, you know, my opponent next to me is obviously on wind, like, how how am I going to adjust my my elements to kind of have an idea of how to battle against a wind deck, you know, and 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 really work on um, you know memorization. Like I think memory is a very very important part of this game, and I'm sure that you noticed like uh, you know a lot of the competitive players, and I'm sure yourselves even uh, just constantly look through people's break zones to kind of figure out like some numbers like where they're at with their deck like where their bombs are at or what have they used in terms of cards that are like really, really good against your, 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 your deck or your archetype that you're on for the day. So like memory for me is a big, big thing. And I'm going to work on not just memorizing cards, but also work on like memorizing, you know, what I picked and what my opponent's next to me have picked. So um, I think that maybe that's, maybe more one of the more advanced uh things about draft that uh i i don't think you know a lot of newer drafters will pay attention to but for for me you know i i know the the whole gallop of the the competitive realm and i know that people at the highest at the highest level are going to be you know working on on those type of things and those advanced like you know tricks and 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 tools uh to really get ahead of the the competition so like for me, that, that, that is one thing that I'll be working on. Well, that's absolutely great, man. You know, and Colin, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Good luck in your tournament today. Make sure you tell all those boys that we said hello down here in RVA. Uh, and uh, other than that, guys, any parting thoughts? I got nothing. <laughs> Thank you guys for uh, having me on. It's been a real blast. Um, I always uh, enjoy talking to you guys about the game and uh, you know, how to optimize everything that we do involving the game, whether it be drafts or competitive play. And um, I, I will certainly tell all the New Jersey guys uh, that you said hello and you missed them. And uh, we'll get the others soon for uh, next tournament over CC Cup. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, guys, signing off for today. We will see you all next week. Yep. See you later. Bye, everybody. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening once again to the RVA Returners podcast. If you like this content and you want to hear more, check us out on YouTube at RVA Returners. And make sure you follow us on SoundCloud and check us out on Google Play and iTunes.